Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks very much for joining me for episode number 22 of the Sports Stories podcast. We have had some incredible feedback following last week's episode with Mark Bennett MBE, and I'd like to really thank those of you who have been in touch. It is really valued and appreciated, and as a result of your feedback, I would like to gain more authentic, open, honest, and inspirational stories that provide some real tangible tips and takeaways. Well, today's guest is a double Olympian, mentor, and business owner who I know is very open and has an inspirational story himself, and whose passion is to help other people develop. So there is probably no better place to be if you are a parent, a teacher, a coach, or a business owner or leader. So let's crack on, and please forgive me the pun, but let's dive straight into the podcast with my very special guest, double Olympian and founder of Swim Buddies, Mr. Chris Cook. Chris, it's really great to, to have you with me on the Sports Stories podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited about speaking with you today. I know that we've worked together in the past. It's been a long time since we've really properly connected, but I feel like we've got a lot of old ground to cover. I'm really excited also because I know a little bit about your story and I'm really keen to, to dig into the, the Chris Cook, the young sports person, Chris Cook, the swimmer, but there's also Chris Cook, the businessman, entrepreneur and coach. So I know we've got um, loads of ground to cover and I'm really looking forward to being with you yeah. today. As a good starter though, Chris, could you um, introduce yourself a little bit but by using the framework, how and why did you get into swimming? Yeah, um, so yeah, my name's Chris and oh, that's a really good question. I always get asked that when I go into, when I've gone into primary schools, kids will ask you anything, <laughs> which is great. I love it because you've got to be ready to kind of sort of open up because like I say, they'll ask you anything. And the, the why for me was, it was probably the one thing that I was able to do that I felt was my own. Everything else, I felt like I was in competition with other people. And I, I am a painful, painful introvert, Dave, like <laughs> to the point where it drives people insane. You know, I, I, I'm happy in my own company. So swimming for me, whilst it's quite a, you know, it, it's a mixed sport in the sense that you're kind of there, it's very busy, there's a big, big group around you, but I could bury my head and just, yeah, get lost, I suppose. And, and that for me was, was perfect. A little bit of therapy, you know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm perfectly honest with you in, in the sport. So that buy-in for me was just that I got sucked into it at such a young age and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. So Chris, tell me, um, well, what was your introduction into the pool? It was actually, we were looking through the yellow pages, um, if you can remember that far back, and we found a, an advert for the swimming club. And I'd just been watching the Olympic Games on TV. I watched um, Adrian Morehouse win a gold medal for Great Britain. And um, we decided to go down to the local swimming club, South Tyneside Swimming Club in South Shields Town Centre, Derby Terrace Pool. It was really old, old Victorian building. And it was a Wednesday evening. I went for the trial. I remember walking in. I was all pumped and ready to go watch Adrian Morehouse win a gold medal thinking, I'm going to do that. Right. <laughs> and, I, and when I got down to the pool, I just, I just froze seeing all those swimmers doing what they do. I just right. thought, I can't do that. And, you know, I grew up in a house where the word yet was used a lot. Okay. There's a, quite a powerful word yet. If you put it in the sentence, you know, I can't do that. Turns out I can't do that yet. And, you know, I do believe in the power of it. It kind of primes the mind ready to, go, ah, so you're telling us there's a chance I might be able to do it at some stage. And I think that kind of, that's always been in my psyche. That's always been in my curiosity, has is, is always been at the heart of it. So getting through the door, getting changed, walking through the foot baths, and then meeting people who 
ultimately I didn't realize at the time, but completely changed my life. Um, showed me opportunities, showed me how to carve them out. And yeah. little did I realize, I just thought I was going for a trial at a club just to see what it was like. And so Chris, tell me there a bit about, you know, your family background, because, you know, you said they used the word yet a lot, which set you up. Was swimming in, in the family beforehand or have you got any siblings or any close relatives that are interested in the sport? Not really. I mean, my granddad was always talking about swimming. He said um, he'd often compete in challenges across the time when you could do that. You can't, I don't think you can do <laughs> I don't that. Think you do that now. <laughs> no, it's really dangerous, but they used to wait until it was safe to cross and then they would have challenges and there was trophies and cups that you could go across the North Tyneside and swim back. Um, but they stopped all of that. Um, and he would often talk about it, but there was no kind of major focus on it. There was no kind of hitting the newspapers or anything like that. Um, no, and, and, and really in all fairness, I felt as though that was my secret weapon because it became my thing, not a thing we did as a family. And I think that's really important as well that you just, yeah. you know, you, you allow, I've got kids myself now, you know, you allow them to be themselves, even if it goes against what you would want for them. <laughs> it's, um, and it's hard. It's, it's really, it's harder as a parent to watch than it is as a participant to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I went into this world of swimming that my parents knew nothing about really. And right. it wasn't their interest. I was their interest and they just wanted me to be happy. Right. And you know, they did a great job because it was, they just left me be and let me do my thing. And that became mine. Um, but it's dead interesting because when we used to get around the table at tea time or anything, we used to talk about all other things. It wasn't just about swimming. Right. And I, I do worry about families where it's, it's all about cycling or it's all about running. I think, you know, I get that and I understand that, but that, that, that wouldn't have worked for me. I needed something. Swimming is a part of my life. It wasn't my life. Okay. So what else was part of your life then as you, as you grew up? Because, you know, obviously you talked a little bit about sort of sacrifices or choices or things that went on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how was the balance of swimming and your sort of teenage years as you got a bit better? Yeah. That was tricky that Dave, because... I think, I mean, it's tricky for anybody, but when you're telling your friends, I can't come out because yeah. of swimming, and then they come out, they call you out, they go, it's not swimming that's doing it, it's you, they're your choices. And they're absolutely right, they're absolutely right. And at some stage I had to say, I am making this choice, not swimming is making me do it. And that was a big step for me as a 15 year old. And I did start to hemorrhage friends. Right. But, you know, it's such is life, isn't it? you learn who's in your camp, who's truly in your camp when you go through moments of turbulence, you know, who's really there. And I think I did a lot of my maturing through the sport early doors. I think that's what it taught me was you've got to stand on your own two feet. You've got to gather the team around you and get a good team. Absolutely. But people will come and go, but the one constant in your life is you. Yeah. And if the one constant in your life is you, then it's certainly not a look after number one type of thing. I'm not that type of person, but it is absolutely what makes me happy. Yeah, and you mentioned there, though, about, you know, that time of your life as well. And I'm just conscious about, you know, parents or even some younger people listening into the podcast and having to make that decision around what do they do in those early years, you know, and the pressures of peers and, and fitting in. And it's really difficult, but yet you really manage to find a way of navigating that by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I tell you what, what really helped was making mistakes and being allowed to make mistakes. Right. So going to that party and then not performing three weeks later at the competition. 
and you know when I was going oh I didn't perform here people were then shining a torch going well that's because you didn't give it what you normally give it you were at a party you burning the candle at both ends but that's your choice it was always always fed back to me as my choice and I think that's the key is not trying to control it just allowing it take its course somewhat yeah. and just being there to I mean you'll only have you only have two parents in your life, two, two true parents in your life, really. Yeah. I could go and have 100 coaches if I really wanted. I didn't need a coach in my living room and in my dining, around my dining table. Yeah. Now, I needed a parent at that stage, someone to go, you know, you're still loved. You're still, yeah. you know, you're still alive. You've still got a pulse. Everything's fine. <laughs> you know, you might not have swam as fast as you wanted to do. And, and was it your parents or was it your coach or who was it around you that was that kind of mirror or that, conscience to you at that stage of your life i think um coaching was really big you know i i went i had a coach called ken nesworthy at south tyneside swimming club and he came into the sport knowing nothing about it really he was a parent on poolside a coach didn't turn up one day he was reading his newspaper and decided well i best stand in and let these kids swim so <laughs> he stood in and then 20 odd years later he's there as one of the best coaches in the country for youth development he's fantastic and he learned when I was learning. So instead of giving us a hand-me-down culture, because I think a lot of sports are guilty of that. I think a lot of businesses are actually. They hand it down from the previous person. Somebody just does a little bit better than the previous. This was like a blank canvas. And this guy had come from, he was a sheet metal worker. He was um, not involved in swimming at all. Arguably probably couldn't swim at that time. I don't know. But he was just, he, he came in and went, right, well, let's just apply some bit of logic here. And he, he changed things. He changed a lot. Um, and it felt like I was on this journey of exploring with him. But he was harsh. He was harsh. He wasn't, he wasn't fluffy. It was, it was very black and white. There was no gray areas with him. So he created a space where there was no wriggle room. And if you try to wriggle, it became really uncomfortable. So you either came in and did it or you didn't. So, Chris, how did he maintain that no wriggle room approach? Because, you know, I guess if we're looking at the sporting environment of today, you know, there is a lot of talk about the balance between really pushing people too hard and actually yeah. or just holding them accountable. You know, and obviously yeah. you, you lived right through that environment to, to swim at the top. You know, and I'm wondering yeah. how did he really do that to really help you? I think the first and foremost is having a shared set of principles between us. You know, he was always talking about hard work still works. Yeah, I remember him saying that years ago. He's like, it sounds really old fashioned, but hard work is always going to work. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. You know, if you come in looking for a wet flannel approach to a sport that doesn't require you to be a wet flannel, then I'm sorry, it's not the one for you. So there was a bit of realism around our kind of shared values being there early, you know, he, he had a, a key set of things. You speak to people properly. A lot of them were kind of round the dining table rules, old-fashioned rules, yeah. but just work. They just worked. You know, if I'm talking to you, you make eye contact. Simple. If I'm talking to you, you wait until I'm finished, and then you can talk, and I won't butt in. And, and this sounds so simple, but it actually sets up a, a, a culture where everybody's got a space to come in, and, and everybody starts moving the bar up, but you always get those, you always get those spectators in sport or the, probably the danger zone is the wannabes. And that sounds really bad, but people who come in, give 100% and then die off and then come back again, give 100% and then die off. They tend to want it, but don't want to do the work for it. 
and they can attract a group into their group. And I say it a lot. And he just wanted to work with winners. And I don't mean people who won medals. He, he, he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in working with people who brought the winning attitude, who were pushing the barrier, who were, you know, he would give people who were given 100%. He'd give them 100% back. And he was great at that. Anybody who came in and didn't, he was just honest with them. He was just honest. He just said, listen, you're not giving 100%. It's a bit arrogant of you to think I should be giving 100% you. It's, it sounds straight out of the, uh, the, the, the metalwork factory kind of conversation, you know, very straightforward, <laughs> straight down the line, you know, yeah. and to the point. And, you know, he had, you got in, you got the pool ready. No one was above it. There was no superheroes in the team. He was big on that. And, and I like that, you know, if you, if you got up to the top level in that club, he celebrated you. But it was always about your next swim. You're only yeah. as good as your next one, not your last one. Chris, and, again, what I pick up, though, is I don't know whether my uh, perception is correct here, but there was something for me in the way you talk that it wasn't about just you as the swimmer. It was about you as the person. So those bringing in those real values is about developing the person. You know, and I know nowadays it seems like we talk a lot more in sport about developing the person to de- develop the, the football, cricketer, netballer, hockey player, whatever. And it sounds like he was a bit before his time. Yeah, he was. And, you know, there was a time when I went through my GCSEs where things were really rocky and ropey. You know, I was, I was up late studying. I was getting up early studying. I was going to training. I didn't really miss a session during all those times. And that's quite extraordinary because we had 13 sessions a week, you know, 13 two-hour sessions a week. And it's not that easy juggling everything. And I went through a really tough patch where mentally and emotionally I was needing support. And he was there. He had other people there who were role models in the group. Just They didn't have a title at all. They were just older guys who would help scoop you up. And, you know, you, you can't beat a culture like that where people are pulling in the right direction. And that's what he set up was a place where you could come and showcase your talent, but also be recognized as a person. I think that's so, so crucial if you're leading anybody to, to see them as individuals. And, you know, I had to be trained different from the next guy. Swimming's quite a prescriptive sport. You walk in, there's 30 or 40 of you in the pool. The coach writes one session on the board. Everybody follows that one session he was a little bit different. He would often set that one session and go, right, I need you to back off. I need you to go there. I need you to go there. And he would position people and he would just control the orchestra. He was just the conductor controlling the orchestra. What he was actually doing is he was just observing and giving people exactly what they need, bespoken it really. Bespoken it, yeah. And it's very individualized, yeah. Yeah, whereas a lot of of swimming is very much like, right, I'm just going to give them all of this work. I'm going to see who comes through. He never did that. Um, and that, that gave me the chance to kind of bespoke it and add to it. And, and I think that's another key point, you know, is feeling like you own it as well as such a key in any career, feeling like you own that space for a bit. Because really, in all fairness, we only have a rent in space, aren't we? We rent space in life, <laughs> and then we're done. Yeah, we'll <laughs> and move on. <laughs> exactly. You, you rent it, you think you own it, but you don't. But in that moment, if you can kind of take ownership of it, I feel as though you start to take control. You pick up your own pen and write your own chapter in many respects. So, Chris, think- you're sharing for me, though, lots of lovely phrases or mottos which um, people have either given to you, your coach, your granddad, or, or maybe you've come up with throughout you know, your experiences. Are there any that really stick with you or you could share with, with our listeners to say, actually, this is the, the one mantra that I, I play to ongoing day in, day out? 
Yeah, and the one that I still stick to now. Yeah, yeah if you really want to be successful and really happy, don't have a job, have a purpose. Because if you've got a purpose, I see the whole world as my opportunity to, yeah, to be open to, almost like my office. You know, we spoke about it the other day when we were on the call, if you remember, and I yeah. said, I constantly feel like I'm unemployed. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not a scary thing. Actually, at first it was being self-employed felt a bit scary, but actually if you step on the other side of the coin, it's really, really exciting. And I've always, if I look back, I've always lived my life like that. Go out with a purpose. Yeah. Yes, there's things about that purpose that I don't like. I don't like doing my own accounts. I hate sitting down doing my accounts. <laughs> it's not my thing. But that allows me access to do my thing that I love. Yeah. So really, I, I don't think that can be beaten. And I think the world needs more people who have a purpose, who are aligned with what they want and do, what want to do. So when you were in your 20s, so, you know, you were moving up the swimming ranks, you know, you were doing quite well. You began to be, believe that you were a little bit different. What was your purpose then? What did you believe? You know, you, you, looking back, we know you've been relatively successful with your swimming, but what was yeah. the connection? How did that inspire you? The one thing, and I didn't realize this until late on, that was always burning in the background. The, the, the big dream was the Olympic gold. Yeah. That was kind of the tangible thing you could hold in your hands but the thing I couldn't quite put my finger on until I was in my mid-20s was I had this burning desire to lay down my best that was it and it was in a conversation I had with Simon Hartley who's my sports psychologist we were talking and he said what's your what's kind of your big dream and I started talking about gold medal and he said yeah but I could go and buy you that I could go buy you a gold medal and hand you it now I could give you it you could have it now you don't even have to hit the pool how does that sound I went (laughs) Yeah, but that, that's not what I'm on about. Is exactly what is underneath that. And what, what came to the forefront was, I want to look back in years to come and go, that was 100% me. And I want to be proud of it, regardless of where I end up. And, and that became my mission. Once I realized that, I realized I was actually asking and answering that in every, any given moment from right. being really young. I just wanted to be the best version of me. Even if I finished 10th out of 10, <laughs> if I could turn around and say, that's me, I couldn't do any more, job done. Yeah. And so it sounds like it's, it becomes much more internalized. Personal. Personal. Personal, yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at now with business because it's really, really difficult. Or it's very, very easy, sorry, to look over the fence and see another company do the same sort of thing. And we, we almost become... Um, we almost become a product of other people's success, don't we? We see somebody else do something. So we mimic it, we copy it, we maybe make it our own, put our own branding on, but we're only ever a little version of what they are. Instead of inwardly reflecting and saying, well, hang on a second, what can I do now that's going to make the biggest impact and lay down my best? That's a, that's a really powerful question to ask yeah. yourself in a, in a team when you're moving forwards. And that's where I believe, that's where I believe small businesses are making a massive impact in the world now because if you ask yourself the right questions in those moments you can develop something phenomenal and different different to what everybody else is offering can you give us an example do you think of where that kind of philosophy and approach once you've kind of nailed it for you really moved you on and made a big difference to you to help you progress and take the next step yeah there was a there was a moment when i finished swimming um so i finished swimming as a two-time Olympian. My last ever race was a 
was um, an Olympic final. So I was in the race two lanes away. Michael Phelps picked up his eighth gold medal. I was in that race. It was just, it was a phenomenal moment. But I left feeling like I'd failed. Right. So I left feeling like I'd failed because I wanted this gold medal. I believed I could have it. I, I didn't swim so well in the individual event, but I swam great in on the last night, like I've just said, in the relay. Um, when I came out of the sport, I felt like, like yeah, I was just devastated. Right. And it wasn't until maybe two or three years on from that that I started to answer the question that I've always been asking, have I laid down my best? Well, yes, I have. Well, then there's an element of coming to peace with that and enjoying it and and accepting that that was your mission, that was your purpose, and you've done it. It's job done. And literally like night and day, I just started to feel a sense of pride about it, and I started talking about it in a different way, thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. Nobody else should be defining it for me other than me, and that's important. And from that point onwards, I then my career now started to take off. And before then, I feel as I was kind of trapped. I was trapped in this this spinning turmoil you know for those three years you know because i think it's such a crucial part there's so many people either transitioning out of sport or transitioning even out of careers or they've um, achieved what they thought was their purpose and they're now they're recognizing that it's not in that turmoil of that period what what was it do you think that actually helped you come through it and out of it to give some sort of guidance to others i think a check on ego one check my ego and and you know i don't I'm present as a big ego, but I I have one. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And I think that was getting in the way. I was frightened to start again. Right. I was frightened to start again. And that came from, well, my last race was an Olympic final. Surely I'm worth more than sweeping the floors somewhere. And yeah. and instead of just accepting that if it took sweeping the floors to get the next step, if I did it, everything else would fall. And it did everything else started to fall into place once I accepted starting again. And it's okay to fail. You know, life is not linear. It's not linear. You know, I've taken several different directions. I've had several failed businesses. You know, I remember coming out of swimming and um, I invested in a business and and this guy totally rinsed us over. He took the money, didn't, didn't put forward what he said he would put forward collapsed the business and within weeks I'd lost pretty much our life savings, mine, mine and my wife's. And I was feeling terrible about what's just happened. And I sure. felt lost and lonely. It was such a low point in my life. And that went on for a long time, Dave, where I was angry. I was, yeah. I blamed him. And it was that one moment that I started to accept actually the only person to blame here, if, if I am going to throw around the blame yeah. is me. I placed myself in a position of vulnerability and someone just took advantage of it. They took the opportunity that was in front of them. Sure. And once I accepted that I, once I accepted that that was my fault, if you like, I was then able to take control of it. And again, just night and day, it just clicked into place. And I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm a bit frustrated that I put myself there, but it was me who put me there and taking ownership for me is, absolutely crucial and and is that something you learned then or you recognized then or is that a principle that you've maybe even brought from your your swimming days you know yeah. in, in through life yeah we've i mean there's a saying in sport you go up to the blocks alone and and essentially you can have as many people in your team as you want but the person who executes it at the end is you 
So all those skills that you're taking and implementing need to be implemented alone. It's you in the water. Nobody's kind of, so I think swimming, swimming taught me that, that once I'm up there, there's a power, there's a power in it, in sharing your vulnerability and standing there alone at the blocks. it, It can be a bit scary, but it's brilliant facing your fears because when you face your fears, you, you expand and anything that expands doesn't retract like that. You don't retract back. And I heard, a, I heard a phrase years ago and it said, you can't shrink your way to success. And it made me laugh, but, <laughs> and it's true. You know, if, if we fear expansion, essentially we're, 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 we're almost putting a, a block on moving through life because life is about change. Life is about expansion. You know, we were talking the other day about the pace of change being quicker and quicker, and it is. It's only going to get quicker. So for me, that ownership comes down to accepting that it's okay to be at fault. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay if you've done something and it didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to. And nobody else is keeping score. I think that was a big one. Do you think, though, Chris, you know, you, you mentioned there it took you kind of two or three years to come around to that through a number of experiences. Yeah. That, that word acceptance you've used a number of times now, and I'm sat here thinking, when and how do you come to that acceptance? Is it a time thing or is it a, a trigger? You know, for those people that are sat in this place, I'm just thinking, I wonder what, what it is that we can help them with. Happiness has to be the key, hasn't it? Right. You know, you know, it, there's one thing being successful, there's another thing being happy and successful. I don't see success as a separate thing. So I wanted to do them together. And and for me, that that asking that question is, am I happy in this in any given moment? And being really honest with your emotions. You know, we don't go to school and get taught how to handle our emotions. We just don't. It's kind of a given that you you just go through and you muddle through and it's very kind of it's very British to do that, but I think, I think we're moving into a moment in time where the next generation coming through are actually questioning their feelings. They're actually exploring them. And that for the older generation is freaking everybody out and everyone's calling them snowflakes and all that. And, and I keep saying, if you keep saying that, they will live up to that title. If you call kids the PlayStation culture, they'll live up to the PlayStation culture. <laughs> be careful how you label. We shouldn't be labeling at all. What we should be doing is just helping shine a torch on the emotions that you feel are perfectly normal. It's perfectly normal to feel angry. It's perfectly normal to feel frustrated. It's perfectly normal to feel happy. You know, again, we spoke about it on the phone the other day. Is it is it is it okay to be happy when we're coming out of COVID? Well, yes, it's, I've had a wonderful time. Has it been stressful? At times it has, but we've looked for the we've looked for the silver lining because we're that type of family. Um, but I think happiness, it, to answer your question there, I think happiness has to be the key. And if you've dragged along and dragged along for so long and you think change is this big, long journey. It doesn't have to be in any given moment. You can choose to be happy. You know, I've fallen, I don't know about you, dear, but I've fallen into the trap of I'll be okay. When I'll be okay. When I get this weekend out of the way, I've got a big talk coming up and I'm a bit stressed. I'll be okay. When I'll be okay. when. Why can't you be okay now? Why can't you be happy now? And I challenge myself and I still wrestle with this a lot. I'll be okay when is, is I think it's a disease in our culture. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've watched people retire and they, they're waiting for this nirvana. I'll be okay once I retire and they reach there. And, and actually what they've practiced is being okay when that's the skill they've practiced. So guess what? When they retire, what they say, 
I'll be okay when, I'll be okay once I'm on holiday. I'll be okay once I'm not here. I'll be okay once I'm... And that never and comes, does it? Yeah. Never comes because we, we become what we practice. So if you want happiness, we've got to practice happiness in the moment. And, you know, every journey's got its ups and downs. I read a book a few years ago that, that changed my life, completely changed my life. I've read it seven times. And it's the only book that I've read that um, when I've read it seven times, I keep thinking someone sneaks in another chapter. Jump I'm like, no, that wasn't in there. Pick something else next time. Who's messing around with this book? And um, it's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's a fantastic read. And essentially he talks about hitting his rock bottom. He talks about everyone's got their own rock bottom. And I've experienced mine. I feel like I've experienced mine. And when you say you feel you experience your rock bottom, was that that coming out of swimming after the, yeah. uh, the Olympic final? Yeah. yeah, It was loss of identity. I had, okay. I had identified with my swimming. I was Chris the swimmer and still am to, to some respect, but I'm able to separate it in my own mind now. Whilst I still talk about it and I still do lots of things around it, it's a part of my story I'm really proud of. That's as far as it goes. You know, I'm, I'm so much more than that. And he talks about how attaching to having that attachment to things can often be the thing that brings the pain because if if you're on a high your values your morals everything's on a high with it if you're on a low guess what that's also on a low as well with it so you've got to be really mindful of attaching to things but yeah the power of now completely changed because it was all about enjoying the moment and you know there's no point in having these moments in life if you don't stop and just appreciate and just those little things in life that really bring the big joys. You know, I went for a, a walk this morning with a dog and watched the kids. I've got two kids. I watched them on their bikes, just having fun. Kids have no kind of future and past going on in them. They're just yeah. all about now. And I, I love to visit that now. So Chris, thing. I'm also thinking here though, you know, you, you said purpose was really important in yep. your life and what drives you and that helped you become the swimmer you were and you used that yeah but when you came out and you re re sort of found yourself and re began to create your identity what's your purpose look like now because again it's a word that's used a lot i feel in the world out there and i think a lot of people find it very difficult to articulate or to connect with what that really means for them so what might you say your purpose would be now I think I'm still exploring it to some extent and you know, I'm not able to define it as one little phrase, but I'm still kind of exploring it. I, I know deep down I get this real internal click by helping people do something that they couldn't do yesterday. I really enjoy that. And I enjoy the kick that you get from someone coming going, Oh my God, I've just done this after this conversation we've just had, or, you know, I teach swimming as well in my, in my own business as well as mentoring and coaching and you know, just seeing kids come in the door, kicking and screaming and crying that they don't want to be marched to the death that they think they're going to get marched to. And then they, they get in and then they love it. And six months later, they're swimming independently. And you just, I love that feeling of, but I'm very, I'm very out of harmony. I know who I am and I'm very out of harmony. If I see somebody in pain, I, I naturally want to help. You know, I don't, I, I don't say I'm okay. Leave them alone. I'm straight over there. That's, that's my mentality so that you, fits with my kind of purpose but you you also make me really think about the idea of you know what it makes um what's important to become a really good high-end 
performer stroke athlete you know and that selfishness that does doesn't is required you know and then what you're describing for me here now is is the the chris cook who's actually very selfless and is, is really about giving and helping and supporting and you know again i think it's a lovely tension and i'm just wondering have you recognized that in you or is that being yeah. a challenge yeah it was a challenge and when i was swimming you know i was swimming alongside people who were, were very very naturally selfish there's no getting around it so it kind of favored them but i understood it was a skill that i just needed to harness that in that given moment, the job was to get a job done. And I saw that as a personal mission. I didn't see it as, as selfish. Um, but, you know, yeah, yeah, you are right. It does, it does favor that, that person who has that selfish streak in them. So whenever I came across people like that, I did, have, I did come out in a bit of a rush, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you know, and, and it did. But now I've come out the other end. Yeah. I'm involved in, in two businesses. One's mentoring and coaching. And the other one's learn to swim where I get to see... I get to see people flourish from the, the foundations that I put in place. And that, that brings me alive. So my purpose is definitely in that. I've still got a lot of exploring to do and I'm excited about that, but I feel like I'm on track because I keep asking, you know, what, what more can I give this? What more can I give my purpose? And you know, how many more children can I help swim? How many more people can I help out through mentoring and coaching? And it's really interesting because you know, I feel more aligned than ever. And I don't feel like I advertise myself and yet things just happen. You know, I call them happy accidents. You know, when you're on purpose and you're on, on course for things, these happy accidents happen, these coincidences. And I have some insane coincidences, like beyond anything. Can you share an example of one? Yeah, so a few years ago, when I was kind of going through a really tricky patch, um, I got this contract, I got this call late one night, it was about 10 past nine, I was sat in Newcastle, where I used to live, I now live in Yarm, down in Teesside, I was sat in this house in Newcastle, and I got this call, and I got a desperation call, <laughs> this guy come on the call, and he said, listen, you're literally my only hope here, <laughs> I'm going to, straight off the bat, I've got 2,000 kids turning up at a competition down a, um, at this sports competition and I've, an Olympian's pulled out I need someone to come and speak and hold a crowd and I was like right okay well tomorrow what time 8 o'clock right okay well I can do that I'm doing nothing it's a Saturday yeah I think I can do that so we started chatting away and stuff and I was, I was on the phone I was packing the car at the time because I was thinking oh you know, I'm going to have to be up early if I'm going anywhere I said um, hang on a second where, where are you he said um, oh yeah that's a, that's a biggie I'm, I'm down in Kent oh my god <laughs> Newcastle to Kent is a heck of a drive and I went w w I'm going to have to set off now he said oh would you <laughs> so <laughs> I kept packing the car and he said listen I'll have you a hotel you're probably not going to spend long in it but got the chance to jump in the car off the phone to him jump in the car and I drove through the night down to Kent did this job and thought nothing of it drove back the next day he called me a couple of days later just said listen didn't get the chance to see you, but oh my God, what a great job. As a gift, obviously, I'm definitely going to pay you for your services, but I'd like to fill your diary for three or four weeks if you'd let me have your diary. And I was like, oh, self-employed. And the business wasn't particularly going great. I was like, that would be amazing. So he started filling my diary. My first gig down there, I walked into this. Um, they were doing this celebration for um, children right across the, the, the area in Kent. And they were asking them to design some flags, like Olympic flags, inspirational flags. And the, the 10 best ones would get 
to the civic hall, they'd put them up the, 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 um, the, the posts and they'd fly the flags. So got to get to this, this, this um, ceremony. And I was just chatting away to people, loads of photographs, did my speech, chatting with children, signing things. And at the very end, there was a reporter waiting to speak to us. That's my last job before I jumped in the car to go to the next gig. And I was chatting away to this person. And she said, um, at the end, she said, oh, I noticed you've got a bit of a, a different accent. I said, oh, I can't really hide it around this neck of the woods. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the Northeast. I'm, I'm from Newcastle. And because I just thought, she's not going to know South Shields. She said, oh, my husband's from the Northeast. I went, oh, right, okay. I went, well, I'm actually from South Shields. I said, but I've recently just moved um, house down to Teesside and Yarm. And um, she said, oh, that's, that's interesting that because my, my husband's family are from Teesside. It turns out that her mother and father-in-law lived two doors away from my mother and father-in-law and we found out. Oh, yeah. And it's just, honestly, like, I could sit here all day and just rattle off coincidence after so, coincidence. So, Chris, what is the principle behind happy accidents then? You know, how, how do we make those happen? You know, because, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, you make your own luck. Yeah. What is the principle, do you, do you believe, keep, you know, for those that keep, those that are listening and going, look, I want to move forward. I want to be the very best version of myself. I want a bit of what you've got here. What would you, what advice would we give? Do what you love. The first thing is do what you love and, and bring it alive because that's that the thing you love wants you back and it does it it but it takes that brave step but people cloud it with things like yeah but there's not much money in that yeah but that uh, it's a massive shift away from what I've been doing and no 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 and they they cloud it with stuff like that instead of I would love to do that and I'm willing to take a chance it's uh, you, you said there that it's the yeah but rather than the year and isn't it kind of yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I know this because I'm trapped there some days. <laughs> I'm trapped there some days going, yeah, yeah, but instead of just going, yeah, and if I do that, this will happen. And 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 weirdly, I don't know what that non-physical thing is, but I'm, I'm willing to take a risk on it. Hey, I don't even know how electricity works yet. I'm able to switch on the lights and enjoy the benefits. So yeah. if I'm able to do that, then I feel as though when you when you follow your heart, when you do what you love, you tap into something that is more powerful than anything. And you know, a, again, there was, a, there was a story I read. I can't remember from which book, but it said, if you knew who you walked alongside, you'd never feel fear in your life. And it's just it's so powerful. It makes me hairs stand up on end because that's what I think that's attached to, is that non-physical thing that when you, when you go for it, 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 it illuminates the way. And I, that's where my guidance start is that those, those happy accidents, those coincidences that yeah. happen. And they were, again, I could, I could probably fill another 10 podcasts. With no, no. And, and, it, and it's great because we're, we're giving, you know, uh, getting a real insight into the journey that you've taken and, and actually the nuggets that you've picked up along the way. But I, I'm, I'm getting a real good sense of, you know, trusting yourself, taking risks, yeah. But those things were, were born into you in the early stages, you know, when you were pushing at the edge of your performance. But you're doing that now, but in a slightly different way for me. It's about actually really following your passion and your dream and, and believing if I become the best of who I am, yeah. be, you know, be my very authentic self. And I know that's an easily thrown away term, but I think that's something that I'm really picking up in your delivery here is, is important to yeah. you. Definitely. You know, I was involved in a sport where everyone was six foot three, six foot four, six foot seven. 
And then I come along and I was 5'11". <laughs> and people were like, mm, I think you've chosen the wrong sport there. But actually, you know, why not redefine it? Why not be the person who comes along and books the trend? You know, and I think what holds a lot of people back is probably what holds me back is perfection. You know, being a perfectionist, trying to have it perfect, wanting the end result before you've even started. And and I I, I think that's what sport has taught me is if you want something extraordinary, you have to be able to, to, to scaffold extraordinary moments. Okay. And that's, that's the key is you've got to take your eye off perfectionism for a second and start to concentrate on progress. That's where the real magic comes. And what do you mean by scaffolding those performance moments? What does that really mean? I think essentially you've got to work out where it is that you want to be. That, okay. that really helps the whole, the whole journey. So if it's a 10 years, five years, three years, six months, whatever it is, having that kind of visual in mind, I, I'm big on visualization. I believe okay. it primes the subconscious mind to start working for you. So if you can visualize what, what it is you want, but then when you bring it right back and you step back, we used to have a goal setting session where we'd go out to the goal in our minds and then step back. What happened six weeks before? What happened six months before? What happens two years before? You know, and keep coming back. And those conversations would detail around that. But it would essentially always, always end with what has to happen now? Not tomorrow. What needs to happen now? Because how many people's diets start on a Monday? How many people say, oh, yeah, 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 start. no, 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 no. Start in Monday, you start it now. Let's have a conversation about it now and let's put pen to paper mm. and some actions and those actions need to be delivered in the moment right now. Yeah. And when you start that, that's what I mean by progress. I work with people who are very, very well-read people. And the one thing I often say to people is when I can hear that procrastination kicking in or they want to read an extra book, I say, forget that. Just pick one of those books on your shelf, read it and do it, just one. It will work for you, 100%. Stop trying to find another book because it's not an information issue you've got. It's an implementation problem. And, and that's the key is when we've got a goal, we've got to be brave enough to go out there and mess up and mess up hard. And if, if we do, we just throw caution to the wind. Often what we find at the other end is not death. It's not something final and fatal. It's just a set of experiments. That's all it is. And yeah. By definition, experiments can't fail. They just give you information and results. It's what you do with that, that that really makes the difference. So, you know, when we started Swim Buddies or learned to swim business, I didn't know what I was doing. I had this idea and I had the qualifications, but I really had no idea, A, how good it would be, B, where we get children from. You know, we had seven children on our first day. And I, I was all of a sudden saying to my wife, I, I, I don't think there's business around here for us. You know, there's more teachers in the water than there are kids. Yeah. Um, and now I'm looking at a business from nearly a thousand children. I'm, you know, some days if I think about it too much, my heart pounds a bit too quick. <laughs> but th th this is what I've, this is what we've grown as a team. And I say we, because there's not just one person done this. There's a big team effort and I'm but grateful. I, for but I, I also hear though, Chris, in terms of that's the manifestation of that, that purpose that you've got about going out there and helping people to become like better tomorrow than they are today kind of idea, both, both in swimming, but also as people, 
you know, and I think that's a, it's a great illustration that actually you didn't know what you were doing or you took a risk. You took yeah. that first little step on that very first day and kept taking another step each day and look where you've got to. And I kind of trust in the process. I know we talk process and outcome quite a lot, but you've really just yeah. loved the journey and gone on it. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I'd agree. But I also think, feel that, that, that if, if you're willing or you should be willing, I would say, to learn what your personal journey is in that as well. Okay. You know, there's, for me, I needed to learn how to improve my emotional and my emotional resilience. Okay. Because, you know, I'd never been in an industry where other people were disappointed in me. You know, people could be disappointed for me because, oh, you're so close in that race. And I thought you were going to, oh, it's disappointing for you. Nobody ever was disappointed in me. Now I've got a business where, you know, the best will in the world, you can't keep every single person happy. happy. And people will tell you hard and fast, you know, bad news travels faster than good. They will tell you hard and fast what you've not done. And you've got to be ready to listen to that. Mm. And you've got to be ready to listen and respond and not react. I'm a highly emotionally charged person. I could cry very easily. I burst out laughing quite a lot. You know, I'm, I'm very in tune with my emotions. But, but that can bring its drawbacks because in those sort of situations, you can be in a very reactive mode all the time, constantly driven by your emotions. So how do you think, use that for your benefit then? You know, being in touch with your emotions and that emotional balance. I become the observer first and foremost. So I observe, spend a lot of time observing how has that affected what's my internal world happened inside, quantify it and qualify it. So is it anger? Is it, pain is it agony what is it yeah. and just and then accepting it and accepting it's okay because sometimes you have sometimes we have feelings though we have feelings about feelings so if you're angry you get guilty you're angry so being just aware of it in the first place that first emotion that's coming through and it's okay to be triggered you know i've i have said to people on occasions oh, that's, that's really really upset me that but i'm, I'm, I'm here to work it out I'm just being really honest with them. Yeah. And, and then from that point, you can, you're at, a, you're at a, a point where you've, you've expressed it to yourself, you're dealing with it yourself, and actually you can then plan your next step. I think that's really important. So, so go on then, Chris. How has it been, that transition in, into being a, a business owner now? You know, you were a, a sole performer on your own, but now you've got a, a thriving little business going. You know, you, you've, yeah. the, the, the sky's the limit in front of you, you know, loads of opportunities. What is it like as well? Because again, lots of our listeners are, are in the middle of transitions from one thing to another. Yeah. Other people are looking at actually changing their identity, whether it be through forced circumstances, you know, with, with difficulty in the work environment at the moment. What's it been like being your own boss? Um, it's been a learning curve, a personal learning curve. Um, would I want to go through all of it again? No. <laughs> um, would I go through it again? Yeah, I would, yeah. yeah. So that's the difference is, you know, I'm, I would be prepared to go through it 10 times to get to where I am today. But there's certain things that I've gone through. I think, oh, crikey, I wouldn't want to do that again. And if it was written in the stars <laughs> and I knew it was coming up, I'd probably swerve on it. Right. But, you know, that's just the, the non-courageous side of me coming out there, the, the fearful side. But I think the, the way I look at it is there, there are skills that are transient. There are skills that you will bring across but we've just got to be patient, right. be patient and be persistent. You know, the two things I feel are lost in our society, along with moderation. You know, it's all or nothing. It's quick paced. 
and it's got to be done now and I have to be perfect. You know, I'm not a perfect dad. <laughs> I'm less than much less than perfect. I'm not a perfect boss or line manager, or whatever you want to call business owner. And have I set out to be perfect? Yeah, there's a part of me wants to be, but I understand that's almost unachievable. Yeah. So well, what is perfect. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, if you do get there, wouldn't it be a boring world if you were constantly there? <laughs> um, so I think there's, there's an element of the, the climb definitely helps you to morph into the person you need to be and just, yeah, just accepting it and yeah. taking a breath, just taking a big, deep breath. You know, it, it's not for the faint-hearted being a business owner and you're never going to please everyone. There's always somebody texting you, calling you, dropping you a message, asking to have a word. When you run a business, that's just the way it is. Um, and if you run a really effective one, you should be reachable. Um, I didn't want to be that, that guy who was guarded by people, who you had to come through people to come through people to come through people. I'm very, very visible. I'm very there. So if you've got a problem, let's solve it together. If you've got some feedback, I'd love to hear it. So, yeah, that's that, I would say keep an eye on that personal journey is, is the key. And you've sparked another thought for me there, Chris. You know, a lot, a lot of the listeners of the Sports Stories podcast are, are either in, in sport already or they're parents of people around sport. And one of the big issues that often comes up when talking with coaches who have also been on is around the engagement with parents. You know, you being yeah. a parent, but also as yeah. a business owner on the other side of offering a service to parents. How do you find that relationship and, you know, how do you navigate it? Because they are, you know, paying customers of yours. The key is to realize that you both want the same thing. You're both there for the same reason. I want the best service for your child. You want the best service for your child. Great. We're on the same path. What we then have to do is just match up the expectations of what the gap is in between A to B, B to C. And that can be quite confusing. The second thing I often keep in the back of my mind is, you know, a lot of parents will say things, I'm not a pushy parent, you know, straight off the bat. <laughs> and it always makes me laugh that because I'm a bit like, why is it so hard to admit that you're a pushy parent? It's not, it's not a dirty secret. It's actually a really loving thing that you want your child to be the best they can be. So one, accept it, but embrace it. Because the second you embrace that you are the pushing force, be the second that you start to actually use it properly, you know, and, and knowing your role. It's a really tricky conversation to have with some parents, but hugely valuable one mm. is knowing their role and doing it really well. Like I said at the start of the podcast, my parents were parents. They weren't coaches. They didn't really know swimming. They didn't need to know it. They did their job better than anybody else could. So actually their job become even more effective in the whole process. So, you know, I do see, you know, I had a, I had a call not so long ago. I do motivational talks on online now. So I've had to redefine the word stage and go online. <laughs> and you know, I can't grab an audience like I used to. And there was a parent on a call and she said, I just can't motivate me so much. I just, everything I do. And you could hear the tension in her voice. I could hear it. And I just said really calmly, I just said, it was never your job to motivate him. How do I get him out of bed? You don't actually get him out of bed. He gets himself. Even if you drag him, he still gets himself. That's what his job. And she kept but button. I was like, it's your job maybe to inspire him. I get that. Yeah, if you want to take on that role, you can do. Go for it. But motivate him is not your job. You need to stop. 
nobody taught me that before. And she <laughs> really offended. I went, well, that's a really good thing. I said, because where he is now, he's got to with you doing it, what I would deem as a kind of back to front way, if I'm honest. If you go at it from a slightly different angle and take a different approach, I think he could really take off. And she, you could see her kind of give up the fight and like almost, <laughs> I'm not going to get anything past this guy <laughs> because really I was just facing the fact that she was taken on board the wrong role in the wrong position. But she needed to admit it to herself. Um, she stayed really quiet for the rest of the call. I was gutted until the very end. She went, oh, you know, you said something to me that really triggered me. And I said, hey, I'll be honest with you, whenever I'm triggered, it means there's something in for, for me to listen to. There's some value in there, yeah. Yeah, there's real value in it. I said, you know, my wife sometimes says things that makes me go, Wah! and then I'm like, actually, yeah, she's got a point, you know. <laughs> I really need to actually drill down deeper into that. And, and, and we kind of left the call a bit like that. And she got it in the end. I think she was getting it. But, you know, it, it's hard to break old habits, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And I think what you really do for me is raise, again, the importance of that communication with parents and the role that parents play in, our, in both your journey, but actually when you're on the other side of the, the fence. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was talking to a gentleman the other day about the role of coaches as parents, you know, and actually when you go into coaching, really thinking of your role and your responsibility. And, and the, the difficult nature is when you're actually also coaching your own kids, you know, and I think it's a really dynamic um, complex situation to be in but I think it's again I asked the question because I think we need to put it out on the table and whatever the perfect answer is I don't know because yeah. there isn't such a one I don't think but having that dialogue is is really important but again for me you've really closed the loop because we started off really didn't we about actually your parents taking you to to the swimming baths getting you on the journey being parents as opposed to being coaches and playing a yeah. really important role and, and I think we beautifully finished it kind of rounded it off again as you're on the other side of the fence actually yeah. engaging with them. Again, I hear lots of coaches talking about the fact of, I even had one the other day saying, you know, parents don't come into, into lessons in schools. So why do we let them into our coaching sessions or why do we engage in them? And I'm saying, well, I think they're a really valuable asset. And actually, how do we engage with them to play a yeah. part on the journey? And I think, you know, okay. it, it, we've, we both came to the same conclusion that actually they are really important and how do we best engage in them is really important. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. What I want to do is give a, um, a few little tips. I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. We're always yeah. trying to give the listeners something to really take away that's tangible. Some of it might land for them, some might not, but at least what we've always done is, is provided some thoughts. So let me fire these questions at you, Chris. Eh? Yeah. You mentioned a book earlier on that's really inspired your, your go-to book that you've read seven times. Are there yeah. any other books that really have been powerful for you and really um, inspired you in your journey and you would recommend? Yeah, Simon Sinek, um, Start With Why is a great one. Um, and then I'm quite a big fan of Anthony Robbins' work and Jim Rohn, anything from Jim Rohn. Um, it's just golden, absolutely golden. Awaken the Giant Within is a good book, um, <laughs> especially on a per, any personal journey, any personal, especially if people are kind of feeling that fear and doing it anyway. Uh, Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins is a good one. But Anything Jim Rohn is just makes so much sense. The guy was genius, absolute genius. No, brilliant. Let me push this one. I asked this question because in this day and age, I think we've come into a very technological world. And are there any pieces of technology or software that are your go-tos and that you would not be able to exist without, both in your sport and your activity or your business? 
Oh, that's a good one. I, I think probably Zoom <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, I'm all Zoomed out. I'm all Zoomed out. And I'm thinking, God bless Zoom. Imagine going through COVID without this sort of facility, you know. And, and I think that's the key is, you know, don't overuse something. Use it for what it's there for. Use it for what it's meant to be there for. So Zoom for me at the moment, yeah. I'm, I've done a lot on Zoom, don't get me wrong. But if it's the next best thing, I'm grabbing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, and I'm, I'm with you. I think things in moderation, isn't it? But actually Zoom's yeah. been a blessing. You know? Big um, time, yeah. Good, good. Um, this is close to your heart. And I know this is because you talked about your preparation both as a swimmer, but also now as a business person. So how do you prepare yourself both physically and mentally to be the best version of yourself day in, day out? I think knowing yourself is the key. So learning, learning what your triggers are, learning what, you, what brings you alive, what kind of takes your attention. I think that's really key from the, as a, almost like a bottom line fundamental. I think creating a visual around it, um, around your desires, I'm a big on that because the subconscious brain can work for you. But, you know, we live in a world where there's lots and lots of distractions. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me all the time. Technology is kind of driving a lot of that, but there's a lot of look at me and we have to stay focused. Uh, so stay visualizing. And then I think being really open to reflecting over your own shoulder, not comparing yourself to others. I think that those three things for me are really key it's easy to get on facebook and social media and go my life doesn't look like that <laughs> i've done it don't, don't get me wrong um but reflecting over your own shoulder i think is where we start again that kind of confidence to keep on going and keep taking those brave steps brilliant brilliant stuff um i'm gonna take you back to when you're in your teenage years what advice would you give to a teenage version of yourself now um care less about what other people think i think that would be a great one i'd love to <laughs> i'd love to help every teenager get that one um including myself when i was 14 15 16 care less about what people think and and go for it because you know you you will change opinions through showing them not telling them great really powerful um and a couple more questions then uh, again I, I think this is a really valuable one and you've, you've shared elements of this but the Sports Stories podcast is also is an avenue to try and help inspire people. And you've used that word yeah. a little bit earlier on. Who are the two or three people that you could recall? And I know there might be many more than that, but are there two yeah. or three people that you would refer to saying, yeah. wow, they've made pivotal points in my career and inspired me? Oh, there's lots and lots of people. Um, my wife, first and foremost, and I've been with my wife a long time now. Way before we were married, we were both swimming together. We met when we were really young, but she just has an unwavering belief in us and me. And I think having that is just, it's, it's just massive. It's massive. It's, you can't fail when you have that. Yeah. You can't, it's impossible to fail <laughs> when you have that. Um, Ian Oliver was one of my swim coaches when I, he took me to the very top. And it, what he taught me was, how to love the sport even deeper like he just he was in the right place for him and it it's amazing to watch people who are in the right place and the last one was probably my granddad for perspective you know he always and it, and it must have driven some people insane but it, it, i loved it he would often finish things off with a joke because nothing's that serious, serious. I, I love that i love that 
Oh, and I like that because I think it, perspective is really important. And actually, the more we actually enjoy things and, and have a laugh, often the better we perform anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah, so of course we do. Of course we do. It's kind of great. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, you've been really open and honest. You've had a fantastic, and I'm going to say, half of your life and your career because there's so much more to go at still. But I guess, you know, hearing your story, I'd, I'd wonder whose story might you be interested in hearing? Whose sports story or journey might you be curious to hear about? Oh, um, Chris Hoy for me, um, you know, he's just so unassuming and so humble. And yeah, just, I, I really looked up to him when he was in the team. Um, so hearing some of the stories that kind of come out from him, just been incredible. Um, so yeah, he's just a, he's one of those guys that I just think you'd, you'd, you'd want your daughter to bring a guy like him home. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a really decent guy and he says, he does what he says and you know he's just he's done some phenomenal things in in sport that yeah, i can just really admire and and again that comes back to those lovely value sets about you know authenticity and and actually doing what you say and the work hard ethic and things that are, for me have come out really clearly and very solidly from how you've described your journey so again thanks for sharing that um Thank you know you. chris as I, as i mentioned you know you're still looking into the future you you mentioned you're still working things out if any of the listeners are keen to find out more about you and what you're doing, the coaching, the mentoring, even the, the swim school and so on, how, how might they be able to make contact with you? So we've got two websites. One is www.chriscookgv.com and the second one is swimbuddies.co.uk. Um, me mentoring and coaching, I'm on Twitter, chriscookgv. I'm on LinkedIn, doing a lot on LinkedIn at the moment, really enjoying the interaction. It's great. Um, and then my email address is just info at chriscookgb.com. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure people might re really be keen to sort of follow on on your journey. And what I would like to say is, you know, I've learned loads from you again today that, you know, some of it I knew, some of it was new to me, but also just the lovely little gems, you know, and the little one-liners and the statements, even borrowing them from your granddad earlier on, I think uh, is the gem of this, isn't it? In terms of actually, we don't need to reinvent things. We can pick things up and carry them on and wear them ourselves. So thanks for being so open and honest. Thanks for sharing all those things. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, Dave. Thank you um, very much. I say this to many of the guests. I do feel we're on a journey here and these are only part stories. And I'd love to have you to come back on and discuss further things related to sport, but more so about actually really developing people because I think that's been a real yeah. thread for me. It's about how can we become the very best versions of ourselves, you know, more often and with skill. Yeah. So, yeah. Chris, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. And you. look after yourself Thank and see you. you soon. Yay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation that was with Chris. My head is still full of tips and phrases he shared. There were so many key points he raised which resonated with me. I love the idea that swimming was something for him to throw himself into and lose himself with. It seemed like it was an activity that suited his personality and honed his passion. For me, Chris has used and developed the skills of self-reflection from his swimming days right through to running his own business. Taking the time to reflect appears to have really helped him to learn from the risks he has taken and the mistakes he has made on the way. This in turn has really illustrated the positive and proactive mindset he has developed and maintained. I also found Chris to be very accepting of the role he has played in the direction of his life, taking responsibility for both the ups and the downs. He also showed the power of being vulnerable in aiding his success and happiness. Chris also makes me reflect back to episode number 11 with Nathan Wood, when he mentioned that he was much more than just Chris the swimmer. Nathan used the phrase, I'm not my work and I'm not my past. 
For me, personal identity is something we should all continue to be curious about, and it's therefore led me to pose the following two questions. What can you do to ensure you have more happy accidents? And who is it that walks alongside you and helps you not to fear anything and be a true version of yourself? Have a listen back through the podcast to hear how Chris addressed these questions. And as always, I hope these questions and my reflections make you think and are helpful. You can also find these questions in the podcast show notes with the answers to the quickfire round and also the book recommendations. Also in the coming months, I will be making some additional resources available to support you and your development. So keep a lookout at the website at www.sportstories247.com. Please also continue to make contact through the usual social channels and website. Your suggestions and comments are really helpful and the reviews help new listeners to join us on the Sports Stories journey. So from me, Dave Levine, have a great week and I look forward to having you join me next week for another great Sports Stories podcast.